Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue, The Euthyphro, Part 2 Remember that I did not ask you to give me two or three examples of piety, but to explain the general idea which makes all things pious to be pious. Do you not recollect that there was one idea which made the impious impious and the pious pious? I remember. Tell me what is the nature of this idea, and then I shall have a standard to which I may look, and by which I may measure actions, whether yours or those of anyone else. And then I shall be able to say that such and such an action is pious, such another impious. I will tell you, if you like. I should very much like. Piety, then, is that which is dear to the gods, and impiety is that which is not dear to them. Ah, very good, Euthyphro. You have now given me the sort of answer which I wanted. But whether what you say is true or not, I cannot as yet tell although I make no doubt that you will prove the truth of your words. Of course. Come, then, and let us examine what we are saying. That thing, or person, which is dear to the gods is pious, and that thing or person which is hateful to the gods is impious, these two being the extreme opposites of one another. Was not that said? It was. And well said? Yes, Socrates, I thought so. It was certainly said. And further, Euthyphro, the gods were admitted to have enmities and hatreds and differences. Yes, that was also said. And what sort of differences creates enmity and anger? Suppose, for example, that you and I, my good friend, differ about a number. Do differences of this sort make us enemies and set us at variance with one another? Do we not go at once to arithmetic and put an end to them by a sum? True. Or suppose that we differ about magnitudes. Do we not quickly end the differences by measuring? Very true. And we end a controversy about heavy and light by resorting to a weighing machine, to be sure. But what differences are there which cannot be thus decided, and which therefore make us angry and set us at enmity with one another? I dare say the answer does not occur to you at the moment, and therefore I will suggest that these enmities arise when the matters of difference are the just and unjust, good and evil, honorable and dishonorable. Are not these the points about which men differ? and about which, when we are unable satisfactorily to decide our differences, you and I and all of us quarrel, when we do quarrel. Yes, Socrates, the nature of the differences about which we quarrel is such as you describe. And the quarrels of the gods, noble Euthyphro, when they occur, are of a like nature? Certainly they are. They have differences of opinion, as you say about good and evil, just and unjust, honorable and dishonorable. There would have been no quarrels among them if there had been no such differences 
Would there now? You are quite right. Does not every man love that which he deems noble and just and good, and hate the opposite of them? Very true. But as you say, people regard the same things, some as just and others as unjust. About these they dispute, and so there arise wars and fightings among them. Very true. Then the same things are hated by the gods and loved by the gods, and are both hateful and dear to them. True. And upon this view, the same things, Euthyphro, will be pious and also impious. So I should suppose. Then, my friend, I remark with surprise that you have not answered the question which I asked. For I certainly did not ask you to tell me what action is both pious and impious. But now it would seem that what is loved by the gods is also hated by them. And therefore, Euthyphro, in thus chastising your father, you may very likely be doing what is agreeable to Zeus, but disagreeable to Cronus or Uranus, and what is acceptable to Hephaestus, but unacceptable to Hera. And there may be other gods who have similar differences of opinion. But I believe, Socrates, that all the gods would be agreed as to the propriety of punishing a murderer. There would be no difference of opinion about that. Well, but speaking of men, Euthyphro, did you ever hear anyone arguing that a murderer or any sort of evildoer ought to be let off? I should rather say that these are the questions which they are always arguing, especially in courts of law. They commit all sorts of crimes, and there is nothing which they will not do or say in their own defense. But do they admit their guilt, Euthyphro? and yet say that they ought not to be punished? No, they do not. Then there are some things which they do not venture to say and do. For they do not venture to argue that the guilty are to be unpunished. But they deny their guilt, do they not? Yes. Then they do not argue that the evildoer should not be punished, but they argue about the fact of who the evildoer is and what he did, and when. True. And the gods are in the same case, if, as you assert, they quarrel about just and unjust. And some of them say, while others deny, that injustice is done among them. For surely neither god nor man will ever venture to say that the doer of injustice is not to be punished? That is true, Socrates, in the main. But they join issue about the particulars, gods and men alike. And if they dispute at all, they dispute about some act which is called in question, and which by some is affirmed to be just, by others to be unjust. Is not that true? Quite true. Well then, my dear friend Euthyphro, do tell me for my better instruction and information what proof have you that in the opinion of all the gods, a servant who is guilty of murder and is put in chains by the master of the dead man and dies because he is put in chains before he who bound him can learn from the interpreters of the gods what he ought to do with him, dies unjustly? 
and that on behalf of such an one, a son ought to proceed against his father and accuse him of murder. How would you show that all the gods absolutely agree in approving of his act? Prove to me that they do, and I will applaud your wisdom as long as I live. It will be a difficult task, but I could make the matter very clear indeed to you. I understand. You mean to say that I am not so quick of apprehension as the judges, for to them you will be sure to prove that the act is unjust and hateful to the gods. Yes, indeed, Socrates, at least if they will listen to me. But they will be sure to listen if they find that you are a good speaker. There was a notion that came into my mind while you were speaking. I said to myself, well, and what if Euthyphro does prove to me that all the gods regarded the death of the serf as unjust? How do I know anything more of the nature of piety and impiety? For granting that this action may be hateful to the gods, still piety and impiety are not adequately defined by these distinctions. For that which is hateful to the gods has been shown to be also pleasing and dear to them. And therefore, Euthyphro, I do not ask you to prove this. I will suppose, if you like, that all the gods condemn and abominate such an action. But I will amend the definition so far as to say that what all the gods hate is impious, and what they love, pious or holy. And what some of them love and others hate is both or neither. Shall this be our definition of piety and impiety? Why not, Socrates? Why not? Certainly, as far as I am concerned, Euthyphro, there is no reason why not. But whether this admission will greatly assist you in the task of instructing me as you promised is a matter for you to consider. Yes, I should say that what all the gods love is pious and holy, and the opposite which they all hate, impious. Ought we to inquire into the truth of this, Euthyphro? or simply to accept the mere statement on our own authority and that of others. What do you say? We should inquire, and I believe that the statement will stand the test of enquiry. We shall know better, my good friend, in a little while. The point which I should first wish to understand is whether the pious or holy is beloved by the gods because it is holy, or is it holy because it is loved? by the gods. I don't understand your meaning, Socrates. I will endeavor to explain. We speak of carrying and we speak of being carried, of leading and being led, seeing and being seen. You know that in all such cases there is a difference, and you know also in what the difference lies. I think that I understand. And is not that which is beloved distinct from that which loves? Certainly. Well, and now tell me, is that which is carried in this state of carrying because it is carried or for some other reason? No, that is the reason. And the same is true of what is led and of what is seen? True. And a thing is not seen because it is visible, but conversely, visible because it is seen nor is a thing led because it is in the state of being led, or carried 
because it is in the state of being carried, but the converse of this. And now I think, Euthyphro, that my meaning will be intelligible. And my meaning is that any state of action or passion implies previous action or passion. It does not become because it is becoming, but it is in a state of becoming because it becomes. Neither does it suffer because it is in a state of suffering, but it is in a state of suffering because it suffers. Do you not agree? Yes. Is not that which is love in some state either of becoming or suffering? Yes. And the same holds as in the previous instances. The state of being loved follows the act of being loved, and not the act, the state. Certainly. And what do you say of piety, Euthyphro? Is not piety, according to your definition, loved by all the gods? Yes, because it is pious or holy, or for some other reason. No, that is the reason. It is loved because it is holy, not holy because it is loved? Yes, and that which is dear to the gods is loved by them, and is in a state to be loved by them because it is loved of them? Certainly. Then that which is dear to the gods, Euthyphro, is not holy, nor is that which is holy loved of God, as you affirm, but they are two different things. How do you mean, Socrates? I mean to say that the holy has been acknowledged by us to be loved of God because it is holy not to be holy because it is love. Yes, but that which is dear to the gods is dear to them because it is loved by them, not loved by them because it is dear to them. True, but friend Euthyphro, if that which is holy is the same with that which is dear to God and is loved because it is holy, then that which is dear to God would have been loved as being dear to God. But if that which is dear to God is dear to him because loved by him, then that which is holy would have been holy because loved by him. But now you see that the reverse is the case, and that they are quite different from one another. For one is of a kind to be loved because it is loved, and the other is loved because it is of a kind to be loved. Thus you appear to me, Euthyphro, when I ask you what is the essence of holiness to offer an attribute only, and not the essence, the attribute of being loved by all the gods. But you still refuse to explain to me the nature of holiness, and therefore, if you please, I will ask you not to hide your treasure, but to tell me once more what holiness or piety really is whether dear to the gods or not, for that is a matter about which we will not quarrel. And what is impiety? I really do not know, Socrates, how to express what I mean, for somehow or other our arguments, on whatever ground we rest them, seem to turn around and walk away from us. Your words, Euthyphro, are like the handiwork of my ancestor Daedalus. And if I were the sayer or propounder of them, you might say that my arguments walk away and will not remain fixed where they are placed, because I am a descendant of his. But now, 
Since these notions are your own, you must find some other jibe, for they certainly, as you yourself allow, show an inclination to be on the move. Nay, Socrates, I shall still say that you are the Daedalus who sets arguments in motion. Not I, certainly, but you make them move or go round, for they would never have stirred as far as I'm concerned. Then I must be a greater than Daedalus, for whereas he only made his own inventions to move, I move those of other people as well. And the beauty of it is that I would rather not, for I would give the wisdom of Daedalus and the wealth of Tantalus to be able to detain them and keep them fixed. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>